Hello. Test it. Test Hello and welcome to Agitate, a periodical podcast of creative, entrepreneur, and other interesting people. My name is Rob and I'll be taking you on this journey. So sit back and enjoy yourself. This is Agitate. Hi everyone. Today I'm speaking with Ryan Kernahan. Ryan and I have worked on several uh, TV commercials in the past. Uh, I've been shooting the stills and he has been the gracious cinematographer who lets me uh, deke in and take a few shots every now and then. Great guy. Let's listen to what Ryan has to say. So Ryan. Yes. How are you? It's been a while. Um, as Congratulations on the film. Thank you very much. Yeah, we uh, just got back from Sundance uh, about two weeks ago. Um, it was, yeah, it was pretty great. Um, did you sell it? Yes. Yeah. You it, did. Um, awesome. Are we are we recording? Yeah. Well, it's it's not actually public knowledge. Okay. Yet. Then it we don't know yet. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't know no, yet. We don't know yet. Um, yeah. Um, Maybe. The, the the guys are hopeful that it's going to be sold. Awesome. Um, they might get some good news about that soon. Great. And uh, might hear about it soon. But um, yeah, yeah, it all worked out pretty well. Yeah. Man. Sundance was the the clincher. You you took it to Cannes too, right? Well, no, the guys went to Cannes with the trailer for the film. Uh, so we we shot it in April last year over three weeks, and then we all went to Cannes as a group. Uh, by which time we had a trailer cut for the film, and the guys went around um, different meetings with people with the trailer, hoping to to drum up some. Interest. Uh, interest in finance for the next film that they have, which, yeah. which may happen later this year. Okay. So um, that was Cannes. I mean, it, it was an unusual thing at Cannes because the guys had been going there for three or four years with ideas for projects, but no actual concrete things that they were trying to sell yeah. and uh, I mean if, if you've ever been to Cannes it's it's incredibly intense because there's literally 2,000 films there and everybody's trying to get it sold yeah. and, and drum up finance for for uh, their other projects but Chris and Brendan this is Chris Ball and Brendan Mullen who run Six Mile Hill um, the last time they went to Cannes they, all they had was the trailer for Bad Day for the Cut and um, you know they got some positive noises about it, but it, it wasn't like they went there with a, a fully formed, um, coherent, coherent piece that, that they could they could show people. So Sundance was the first time that we actually went anywhere with um, with a feature film. Yeah, you know. And you were at the Egyptian. We were at the Egyptian. Yeah, it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Egyptian theater is amazing. The Egyptian's great. <laughs> it's um, that's where Reservoir Dogs was was yeah. premiered, I think, and El Mariachi and all those kinds of films. So that was one night surreal. Right? There were four screenings. So the premiere was in the Egyptian, which was fantastic, and then there were three additional screenings through the festival, which which is really good. The way the way they do it is great. Each film that's shown at Sundance has four separate screenings, so 
if for whatever reason there's an overlap with other stuff that you want to see, mm-hmm. you're always going to have another chance to yeah. to see it. So the first one was in the Egyptian, and that was pretty cool. Uh, we had a Q and A after that, and then were you up on stage? Yeah, yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. Um, it's just nice, you know. I mean, when you're making films, you, you don't really get to see reaction reactions and all that kind of stuff so that that was the first time that we all made a film together where we actually saw uh, and heard an audience reaction live and then actually got to chat to people afterwards that's great after the film yeah it was, it was fantastic so that was the first screening um, the other ones were we had two more in Park City which is the I mean if anybody doesn't know about Sundance it's in this little mountain town called Park City which is which is essentially a holiday town. You would say it's essentially a skiing town. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it, it seems like the population of the town swells by. Oh like, yeah, come uh, winter. Ten thousand percent. Oh yeah. When Sundance is on, so uh, we had two more screenings of Park City, and then the fourth screening, the final screening, was in Salt Lake City. Uh, the night before we left, which was interesting in a different way because. All the screenings in Park City were, um, the audiences were... Industry? Largely industry people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the audience in, in Salt Lake City was just punters, just guys from Salt Mormons. Lake City. <laughs> yeah. So that was good. I mean, the, the questions at the Q&A in Salt Lake City were, were a bit more different. It was, uh, it, it was more like just a regular audience yeah. asking... That's cool too. The, the questions that you'd yeah. expect. The real a, audience. A, 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 yeah, a real audience to ask at the film, so that was interesting. Because the Q&A questions at, at industry-heavy screenings tend to be largely based around like the, the mechanics of the shoot. You know, like how long did you shoot for? What were your working hours? What was your budget? How long did you shoot for? Uh, it was... Pretty quick. Oh, it was unbelievably quick. It was it was nineteen days, I think it was. <laughs> Which you know, that's awesome. It, it, it's it's ridiculous. The film's about ninety five minutes long, I think, and nineteen days to shoot it in. Which didn't leave any room for no error, no at all. Second take, that's about it. Uh, Two takes. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty tough. There was there was a lot of brinksmanship going on through the whole film because. We were, if I remember correctly, we were never in one location for more than two or three days at a time. So we were constantly moving from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And quite often, if we didn't get the what was scheduled on the call sheet that day, we just didn't get it. So really? There was an awful lot of stuff where we had 10 minutes to go at the end of the day and essentially a scene to do sometimes. <laughs> so I'd be like... Like running around, um, you know, literally throwing laps about the place, mm-hmm. trying trying to get all the shots covered before the rap was called. That happened quite a bit. And was that all shot up here, or was it in the north and into the, into the south? It was all um, in and around Belfast. Oh, really? So um, the film the films are revenge thriller. So it's about a, a farmer that lives on a farm with his elderly mother and he's sort of mollycoddled and has his clothes washed for him and folded for him and has his dinner made for him and he lives this sort of insular life on the farm 
mm-hmm. with his mum, and near the start of the film, uh, his mother gets killed in what seems like a home invasion gone wrong. And after, shortly afterwards, uh, a couple of thugs turn up to the, the farm to try and kill the farmer, mm-hmm. and he manages to overpower them. And then he goes on a, uh, a, a sort streak. of a, a rampage to, okay. to figure out who wanted his mum dead and why they want him dead. So there was there was about a week of filming at the farm, which was in Temple Patrick, uh, just outside Belfast. Um, so we did quite a lot of stuff there. Uh, there was a, a, a bar just up the road that we used for a, a couple of bar locations, and then everything else is more or less in Belfast, in, in wow. the centre of Belfast. So, yeah, it was really tight. So you went home at night and went home at night. I had a sit-down shower most, most of the time. Um, so it, yeah, it was good that way. I mean, it, it, it couldn't have worked any other way. If, if the locations were were more desperate than they were, we we just couldn't have done it. Yeah, you know, nineteen so, days. Nineteen days. <laughs> um, and there was a a big a big beat scene, um, which which is one of the central scenes in the film, and that was down at uh, Murloc Bay. I think it was, you know, just half an hour outside Belfast. So mm-hmm. that that was about the furthest we had to go. Wow. To convenient to do it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it couldn't have been any other way, you know, given the um, given the, the tightness of the schedule. But um, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was pretty nuts. Um, I mean, there was there was a bunch of stuff. I mean, just like trying to think on your feet. There, there's an awful lot of. Uh, there's there's quite a lot of scenes of the farmer driving about in this van that he has, mm-hmm. you know, because he's you know traveling all over the place trying to get into this criminal underworld. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of night driving stuff that we we just didn't have the time or the resources to do practically. So there was quite a bit of stuff where we would just get the van wherever our, our location happened to be that day, and we would throw a tent over it, and then literally get some lamps like at the front of the van, you know, like yeah. d- dimming up and dimming up and down and being panned left and right to, to simulate night, lights, n- yeah. night driving stuff yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So that, that, How's that, it look? that happened quite a lot. It, you happy it, with it's it? Actually yeah. <laughs> it's actually fine. It's actually fine. It's one of the, I mean, that was, that was quite a lot of the stuff that was, you know, 10 minutes to go, we either get it or we don't. And it, it actually, it holds up pretty well. It's actually some of the, the better looking stuff in the film. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, the rest of it looks pretty good as well. But yeah. Uh, it's it pleasant, You're quite happy with pleasantly it. surprised yeah. how that stuff came out. You know, it, it's amazing what you can do when you've no time to do anything. Yeah. Pull yeah. it all together for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you enjoy Park City? Park City was good. Yeah, yeah. Did um, you get to see some other films there? Yeah, yeah. We saw loads. We ended up seeing fifteen films all wow. told, which was quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. There was some. You went as a group? Did you we go? Went, as a- we went as a group. Uh, so Chris Ball, the director, Brendan Mullen, the producer and co-writer, uh, myself, DP, Brian Philip Davis, the editor, Nigel O'Neill, the main actor, and um, uh, James Everett, our composer. Uh, a few of other other producers, uh, Katie Jackson, Kevin Jackson, our production designer John Leslie, and um, just a few other. Um, uh, That's a big of, group of the guys, girlfriends, and stuff. There was there was a group of about 10, 11 of us, wow. and that kind of stuff. 
we all stayed in the house in Park City and um, yeah we, we, we find the time to see a lot of films there's a lot of good stuff on there um, Megan Blair's film was there uh, he's the guy that was in Blue Ruin and he he's a, he has a small part in Green Room as well Oh yeah, um, yeah. he's an actor so his his directorial debut was, was premiered there it's called I I don't want to live in this world anymore Oh yeah, and it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got Melanie Litsky in it, and Elijah Wood, and um, it it ended up winning the the grand jury prize. Wow! I think yeah. first time out. First time wow. out. Directorial debut for that guy, and he, he won the hmm. he won the big prize. Um, that was the first film we saw. It was brilliant. Um, it's interesting actually because there seems to be an awful lot of. Uh, films being bought by Netflix now mm-hmm. and funded by Netflix. And that that film was funded by Netflix. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, it's going to go straight to Netflix at, wow. at the end of the month, at the end of February. It's kind of a waste in a way, huh? Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I, I would like to see it on a cinema screen again, yeah, to be honest. Exactly. So I don't know whether they're, they're maybe going to release it on Netflix and also in some selected cinema screens as well. I hope they do. Um, but it would be a shame if um, it turned out that films would be, like feature films would be commissioned, funded, made, and then just go straight to Netflix. Premiered that, on, yeah, on a that, small that screen. seems like a bit of a, a waste, but that seems to be the way things are going. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it yeah. wins the grand jury prize at Sundance, and then you know, a couple of weeks later, it's out on Netflix. All the best TV. Amazon and Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So that was good. That was a great film. And um, uh, Taylor Sheridan, who is the writer of Sicario and Hell or High Water, yep. had his directorial debut out there as well. It's called Wind River. It's got Jeremy Renner playing a, a hunter uh, who is out in the freezing cold of Wyoming and he has to uh, team up with an FBI agent to investigate uh, a murder. A murder? A murder, yeah, of a, of a Native American woman. It's it's also brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many good films there. I mean, we, we, we saw 15, but there was an awful lot more that we that we could have seen yeah. that, were, that were also brilliant. Have you ever been to Toronto? Toronto Film Festival? No, I haven't actually, no. That's a it's, zoo. That's an absolute <laughs> Totally different zoo. thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that was the good thing about the programs. Yeah, three yeah. quarters of an inch thick. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, that was a good thing about Sundance because I've been to Cannes and I've been to a few other film festivals. Cannes felt like a bit of a zoo to me. Yeah. It didn't seem like people were there to see that many films, to be honest. And I, I get that impression. Just a place about, to be. It's just a place to be, and there's an awful lot of like buzz and noise going on. But it didn't seem like it was particularly well set up to see the films. From my perspective, anyway, some more business. It seemed that way. Um, well, that, that was probably my limited perspective on it. Mm-hmm. But Sundance was so well set up for seeing films. Yeah. You know, the, the the public transport system in Park City is free, and they've got you know every bus route goes to a, a different venue. Yeah. Where the films are on, so they made it really, really easy to see the films. And there was only, I think, 130 films there instead of 2,000, yeah. you know, so... Um, a little bit more accessible. A little bit more accessible, yeah. 
but it was great. Yeah, it, it, even just to go for a holiday to Park City was fun, but to have all that other stuff going on there was. Yeah. was Did you hit the slopes? Cool. No, we didn't. We were we were too scared. We were too scared. Of <laughs> breaking had, a bone and going had, into the yeah, American healthcare system. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's got insurance? Chris and I kept on talking about, well, we go skiing, we go snowboarding, and then we just had terrible visions of like having a, a bone sticking through our trousers and um, not being able to go to one of the screenings. It cost thirty thousand dollars to come home. Yeah. <laughs> if you came home, um, yeah, we didn't. We. We would have liked to, but we just didn't. It was, we were just too flat out doing other stuff. You know? That's good. Yeah. That's great. What do you think of the nightlife? Um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, did in, you become a member? A member? A member of what? Did you have to pay for membership at any of the bars to drink? No. 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 No, we didn't. I didn't. I didn't might realize have, that was the thing. Might, they might have done away with that. It used to be where you had to, because Utah's. Mormon state pretty heavy with yeah. that kind of stuff so you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. <clears throat> you have to become a m- member of a bar so right. you pay like a token five dollars or whatever you become the, a member of a drinking club and then that lets you, you get a little badge yeah lets you drink good no we didn't get that I mean the, it's not like they were lax about it at all they, they were pretty stringent about that stuff we um, we managed to get into almost every bar with just driving licenses which was fine but on the night that we went to Salt Lake City for the final screening, uh, Chris went up and introduced the film, and then we went to a to a bar to just sit for a few hours before the Q and A. Yeah. And they ended up taking the details of our driving licenses, like writing down every single piece of information on the driving license. Like, really? They got, they got through two or three of us, and then another dude came up from the other end of the bar and said, oh, no, no, we, we can't accept those. It has to be passports, or we can't let you in. And we were like, what? <laughs> it's just, it seems like in Salt Lake City, they, they seem to be pretty pretty heavy about that kind of stuff yeah. whereas in Park City there's more of a like a, a holiday town kind of vibe and they, they let it slide a bit more it seemed yeah. like but yeah the, the nightlife in Park City was, was was great it was good it was it was pretty hectic in the first week because it seemed like everybody and their mother was was in town so it was it was really difficult to, to get in anywhere um, streets are packed streets are packed um, <clears throat> it's not like you can you can just hang around outside because we freeze to death it's minus 14 yeah so yeah you really need a need a strategy you know what you're doing every day and mm. where you're going and I, when I was there I never saw a film I went there twice never saw one movie mm-hmm. it was just meeting after meeting after meeting going from one place to another place to another place to another place <laughs> never never went skiing never went snowboarding never saw a movie <laughs> yeah it seems like you have to strategize the parties quite well yeah because we got a lot of in- invites to parties and they were always heavily oversubscribed so if you, if you didn't get there on the dot there was always like a queue around the oh really the, the building yeah so that happened quite a lot but um yeah we that, that first week in particular we, we we tried our best to get around the, the parties that we were invited to and uh, drank all the free booze and ate all the free food <laughs> it just seems to be the where's thing to the do. sony party hit the uh, sony party yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it was cool um 
yeah, XYZ, who are the, the company that are representing the film, had a, had a party on that first weekend. And, and who are they? XYZ, they are a Canadian company who, who represent um, a bunch of different films. Um, they, they had four films at Sundance this year. They had, well, they, they, they represent um, I Don't Want to Live in This World Anymore. Actually, oh yeah, the making Blair film. So that that was one of the ones on their slate at Sundance this year. Uh, they had ours, and they had a film called XX, which is a, a horror film, a, a four-part horror film directed by four female directors. Oh yeah, St. Vincent did one of those uh, sections of the film, and then another film called Bushwick. So they they had the four films at Sundance and. Um, we, we tried to get into their party, but there was literally like you know a queue of a hundred people outside. You tried to get into basically your own party. We tried to get into your own party, and we couldn't do it. Nice. So that's Jeez. that's that's how busy it is, and that, that first weekend in, in, in Park City. So uh, that gives you an idea of, of just how well strategized you have to be. Yep. Well, it's great, man. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very good. It's it's all a lot more than we expected. Because you know, we we made it last year, and um, X Y Z got involved and suggested to Chris and Brendan that it, it might be worth submitting to Sundance. And I mean, you know how it is with these things. Like you, you take it with a pinch of salt. And you think, well, you know, if, if it happens, that's nice. But if it doesn't, okay. But when it became a, a possibility for Chris and Brendan, that they suddenly became <laughs> extremely invested in it. Yeah. Obviously, it's, yeah. it's it's hard to. It's hard to be blasé about that kind of stuff. So when it actually got accepted, it was just—it it was just the most incredible news. Because um, I think they get because when you think about 130 films, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it turns out I think I think they get something like 1,400, 1,500 submissions every year, and they only show about 130 films. So 10 percent. It's less than one percent, isn't it? I don't hang on. 10 percent. 10 percent. No. Stay behind the camera. I hope you stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm not an accountant. Um, that's... I think I've got that right. That's yeah. amazing. So, does that mean you guys are taking... Are they taking it off the festival scene now? Or are they going to um, keep continuing with it we, still? We don't know yet. We don't know. There's there's a lot to be decided. Um, You'll know more after whatever happens, happens. If, and yes. If anything happens, then... yeah. If the oh, film gets sold, then we'll know. Yeah. Um, but the one thing we do know is that it's going to play the closing night of the Belfast Film Festival. I think that's that's that's, good. that's, that's something. Sure. And then later later in the year, there might be more news about when it might be released and where it might be released. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, it's all it's all good. It's all good, and it it, it looks good for for Chris and Brendan's next film as well. You know, it's. They already started pre-production on that, or no, no, not yet. But um, they, they have the script ready to go, and um, if if the finance comes through, then it it could well happen this year, right. later in the year, maybe you know towards autumn, if all goes well. But you never know. You never know. Never know. So did you shoot all? Obviously, you shot all that digital. Yes. And all. Yeah, on yeah. Airy or. No, we, sh- we shot on a Red Epic. Um, we, I mean, I know, like, the the perception is that the film is, is too expensive to shoot on, and that's sort of true. 
I mean, there, there, there's ways in which you can make things work. If if you want to shoot on 35 mil, obviously you need to take take money away from from other areas, mm-hmm. and you need to be a bit more selective in your in your shooting ratios and that kind of stuff. But it can be done. It's it's not it's not impossible out of the gate. But um, we we just didn't feel like it was worth pursuing for this film. You know, every other film that Chris and I have done together has been a but a digital film, so we we didn't really feel like this um, was was the time to start think, think, thinking days. about film in a 19-day shoot as well. Um, yeah, it's I mean you you can rationalise this stuff different ways. I mean if, if you shoot on film, you know, you, and you and you don't give so much primacy to video village, where you're you're watching things back constantly. You know, you you, you can you can divide the time up in a way that makes a bit more sense and you can be more productive but um, anyway we we shot on a red epic and and cook s4 spherical lenses we we talked about um, shooting with anamorphic lenses the the short that we did just prior to that day for the cut uh, called the captors we shot on uh, panavision e-series anamorphics which were great they were very good and Bad Day for the Cut has quite a, a graphic sort of quality to it. Uh-huh. And we we thought about shooting with, with anamorphics for Bad Day for the Cut just to to keep that, you know, graphic feeling. Um, and, like, the Western feeling that anamorphic lenses give you. Yeah. You know, they, they, they just, they, they do so much work that way. But um, in the end, I mean, it, it, it would have been pretty hard on the budget to get anamorphics in, and they have they have other disadvantages as well. Like they, they need more light yeah. to make them work properly, and with the amount of night photography that we had in the film and the lack of resources that we had to light large spaces um, to, to the level that would let the lenses work, um, it just didn't seem like it was going to be a very practical idea. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had to move pretty fast. And um, in the end, we went with the, the Cook lenses. So, yeah, Red Epic Cook S4 lenses, which are which are great lenses. And um, we had a fairly small footprint apart from that. You know, we we, we didn't really have a big uh, grip or, or lighting package for that matter. We had a, a a small slider that we used and a little mini jib arm to do the you know the little sort of booming moves mm-hmm. that, that we had storyboarded. But apart from that, it was it was pretty, pretty, bare bones. Um, pretty bare bones, yeah. And and lighting wise as well, it was it was pretty bare bones. So I had to, I had to do a lot of the lighting uh, with with practicals for, for the most part. You know, we, we we just didn't have the the um, the weaponry to start lighting big spaces and and or the time actually to to create big elaborate lighting setups. So what was the biggest light you had? Um, it was probably a um, it was an M M eighteen M eighteen an, an Ari HMI lamp. Um, yes, one point eight K HMI. You know, wow. a, you know, a couple of those for for a couple of different scenes. Might have had a four K out once or twice for for other stuff, but it was it was pretty minimal. So. Um, in and around the farm, I uh, I used a lot of practical lamps. So John Leslie, our our production designer, 
had a really wide selection of you know table lamps and standing lamps. Mm-hmm. So we, we we picked a bunch of those out, and what I tended to do was just place those in areas of the set where I thought they would play well yeah. for the actors, and you know just replace the bulbs, you know, dim them down, all that kind of stuff. So that that was you know the, the, the basic form for how I approached the lighting. And if the practicals weren't doing the job, then I would bring in some film lamps and, and supplement it that way. Um, there was quite a lot of LED lighting going on in it, and normally I don't like to use LEDs. I, I, I still don't think they look as good on skin as tung- no. tungsten lamps or, or HMI lamps for that matter. But with with the speed that we had to move at, you know, the, the fact that the LEDs are battery powers and you can literally just you know pick them up and throw them around. Um, it, it made them pretty pretty handy for mm-hmm. this, you know. So there's, there's quite a lot of that going on. So you're using all LED panels? LED panels, we had some... None of the, none of the actual Fresnel-styled housing ones? No, no, I didn't have those out. Um, I haven't actually used, the, like, the RE L7s, L5s, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I haven't used those yet. They seem really useful for effect lighting to me. I'm not sure if I totally buy them as a replacement for... You know, like a like a one K Fresnel or something yeah, like that. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure I would trust them that much for that kind of stuff yet. But they're amazing at what they do well, which which seems to me to be, you know, dialing in different colors. You know, if you wanted to do like a like a really saturated red, you know, like a brake light kind of feel, you can dial that right into the lamp. The, mm-hmm. the, the, those little RE L series lamps, you can dial that right in. And they're brilliant for that. They're really, really good. Um, whereas if you wanted to do that with a regular tungsten lamp, you would need to get the red gel, and that knocks, you know, that knocks a couple of stops off it, and yeah. you'd be constantly fighting against um, the light loss. But um, yeah, I mean, for that kind of stuff, for effect lighting, for like weird colors, you know, reds and turquoises and all that party colors, all that kind of stuff, they're brilliant. Um, but the main LED lighting that we had on Bad Day for the Cut was um, Kinoflow Celebs. So we had a Celeb 400 out, which is, I think it's a 3x3, 2x2 light panel. It's, it's, it's a brilliant lamp. It's really, really handy. It can be battery powered if you want it to be. So we had one of those and a Celeb 200 as well, and then a bunch of smaller little one by one panel lights that we had little soft boxes built for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so they were really, really handy. And they're, you know, they're literally the sort of thing that you can clamp up into the ceiling or, or hide behind a chair or a, or a table or something, you yeah. know, stick a battery on it, walk away. It's, it's, it, it's, it's really, really handy. So that was, that was like the, like the basic, um, that was the basic lighting package that we had for the most part. Um, and then apart from that, it's just you know controlling what light you do have. You know, the, like the natural light. There was there was quite a lot of uh, shooting at the farm, particularly under natural light. So you know, it's just bringing in like. Do you have a sunny day? Neg- <laughs> Wait, funny enough, the the one sunny day that I didn't want to have was on a a really critical scene on a beach. And it, the scene is set at dawn. It, it starts at night and then works its way up 
through dawn into morning, mm-hmm. and we had, we had two days to shoot that scene on a beach. And I mean, you'll know this. I mean, if you want to create a a dawn scene, you can't have direct sunlight anywhere because it'll just it'll kill the illusion. And our our plan was to shoot through the day and suspend uh, like a twelve by twelve grid cloth over the actors to try and keep that diffuse feeling of, of light above them and then just underexpose the image slightly and yeah. blew it up a little bit to, to keep the dawn feel. Um, unfortunately, the the two days that we were at the beach, there, there was 40 mile an hour winds. <laughs> so it, it just, it, it made the idea of like large frames above oh, the yeah, actors yeah. just completely- Kiteboarding? Completely impossible. Like, yeah, somebody would have been killed. So we, we literally just had to to wait out the weather down there, which was not ideal. You know, it, it was one of those days where it was two of those days actually where you know it would be like cloudy for 30 seconds and then really bright sunny for 30 seconds and then cloudy and then sunny and then hailstones and nice. rain and then cloudy nice. again. And that's the way it was pretty much the whole time. So it it was just a matter of me trying to persuade the AD that we, we, we couldn't shoot under under full sun but um, because of the way the schedule was in the end we, we had to just shoot some shots under sun and, and hope that we could we could do something about it in the grade so there's a couple of shots in the film that I would like to have back yeah good, but that's that's just the reality of of, sure. of of working in those kinds of locations you know schedule yeah definitely yeah. Is there any chance of shooting anything like that at dusk? Um, the schedule didn't really allow for it. Um, we had some scenes on the beach that were night for night, which we did. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we shot night for night. And I think, did we shoot at dusk? I think we did. I think I think we shot one little uh, scene just prior to that at dusk, arriving at the beach. But for the most part, it was it was it was just all the way through the day, you mm-hmm. know. So, I mean, you, you do your best to, to try and have a plan B for that kind of stuff. There were there were additional scenes that we shot um, inside the van that the farmer has. So, if it seemed like it was going to be particularly sunny for for a stretch, we we went into the van. But we um, we burnt through that stuff pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you know, in the end, you just have to to, to make the best Ride of it. it out. You know, write it on. Wow. Nineteen days. Nineteen days. Nineteen days. Yeah. Schedule that one in. I wouldn't have wanted to do that. No, it was you know. I mean, everybody on the crew was was pretty amazing. I mean, if, if everybody wasn't as on it as they were, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know? So between Chris and Brendan, Barry Keel, our AD, and everybody else in the crew, you know, it, it, it was it was just about possible. Yeah. You know, but awesome. It, it was one of those things where you know, if anybody wasn't on their game, it just it wouldn't have been done. I don't think. Yeah. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. <laughs> so you got anything planned now? Now that you're back? Um, work-wise. Anything-wise? Concerts? Any music lately? Um, God, I haven't been to a gig in ages. Um, 
The next one I'm going to actually is Russian Circles. Who are they? They are a three-piece, um, I suppose you'd call them a post-rock band. They're like a three-piece, very heavy yeah. um, post-rock band. They're playing the Empire, I think, in, in March. Russian Circles. Russian Circles, yeah. They're they're pretty fantastic. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's the next thing uh, on the cards. Give them a try. Yeah, yeah they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen them anything I haven't really heard anything really that's struck me no Radio 6 is <laughs> hasn't hasn't done it for me oh but uh, yeah I'm looking forward to the summer should be something coming through what else is going on uh, let's see I'd like to get the music turned down a little bit in here a bit late for that Rob yeah, well, <laughs> do it in post. Do it in post. Got a D music filter in there, maybe? Yeah. Have you, um, that was one thing I wanted to ask you plasma. Plasma? You looked into those at all? Plasma lighting? The hive um, stuff? Yeah, I haven't actually seen that stuff yet. I haven't seen that stuff. Um, I haven't used the hive lights. Um, I know a few gaffers that are pretty um, pretty giddy about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I haven't seen it, no. I bought one. We did? I didn't buy a plasma. I bought their cheapest, cheapest okay. LED. But it's uh, it's got a pro photo fitting. Mm-hmm. So everything that I own will fit the front of it. Okay. But it's a 100 watt LED, which is just nice for stills mm-hmm. as, as just a, a nice little fill or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that it'll take all the pro photo accessories should be interesting. So I can mix it with my strobes and do, okay. you know, like dragging the shutter and give it a little bit of blur, natural daylight blur behind yes. it and stuff. Yeah, 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 that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it was on a Kickstarter thing, so I figured I'd go for it. Yeah, why not? Yep. Yeah. But that brought me into, you know, looking into more of their other lighting stuff and all their plasma stuff. And I was watching the videos in Vegas of them releasing it and stuff. It's, seems amazing I don't know about the housings the housings don't look exactly robust no (laughs) like you know just like bent steel stamped steel housings and stuff right okay but could get easily dented oh I think so yeah crushed yeah every light comes with its own case kind of thing (laughs) okay I don't think you'll be throwing them around the truck much no I wouldn't have thought so but beautiful lights they seem what two times three times as bright as equivalent HMIs really yeah oh okay that's good that's good insane with very 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 low draw right okay that's pretty cool to be honest with you, the thing that I'm excited about is uh, tungsten bulbs being reintroduced. <laughs> like, oh yeah? Yeah, because it, it it seemed like they were being phased out, you know, they just like regular tungsten bulbs, um, which which I think looked the best on, on skin, to be honest. Um, but it seemed like they were being phased out, they were like increasingly difficult to get a hold of. Really? But it seemed like, it, it seems like MIT have 
done some kind of that's right d- dark arts with, yep. with with tungsten bulbs yep. and they're going to bring them back they're, they're going to bring them back and they've made them you know 90 something percent more efficient or whatever yeah. so that's what I'm excited about you know just getting like regular tungsten lighting back do you think do you think that can catch up with where LED has already gone it hmm it, it's you know, hard. people it, have grasped that LED it's, idea. It's, it's of hard. It's really hard to say because we don't know how much better the LEDs are going to get. You know, um, at, at the minute, I mean, I, 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 even the, the best LED lights, I, I still don't think look as good on skin yeah. as as yeah. tungsten rich am I. And they're they're creeping up all the time. Like you you read the you know the CRI the CRI and the, the data sheets for LEDs, and you can see them just beginning to creep up, and you can see like the like the spectral output of them yeah. is is getting rounded off with each more new, balanced with yeah. each more with with each new generation of lamp that comes out. Um, so it really depends on how far they can go with that kind of stuff, you know. And if if they can figure that out and you know in, incorporate that kind of lighting into like you say you know Fresnel heads and that kind of stuff then have you seen anything of what MIT has done like is this new improved tungsten light is it the same sort of quote CRI as what as far as as I'm aware yeah yeah wow that'll be amazing they just they've just done some sort of sciencey stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wave their magic wand over yeah. it and gone poof. And that's what they do, isn't it? Yeah. It's those silly Americans. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. that was a couple months ago, right? That came out. Yep. Yep. So we'll now, see. are they going to do? Obviously, they'll introduce it to, to residential and stuff first biggest market see how that goes and then mm. if it goes well I guess they'll they'll try to ramp it into cine and do 650 1k 2k yeah. bulbs and that'll be crazy absolutely yeah yeah we'll see we'll see that'd be really crazy there's a lot of stuff out there man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well I so let my stuff, actually. I let my American cinematographer subscription lapse yeah I just, I had it for like four years. I read one issue. Really? <laughs> I was just, just yeah. never seemed to have any time to I, read that. I may have to do that as well. Like I've got a, a shelf in my house that has probably 250 issues of, of the AC magazine. And um, it... How many have you read? It, it, I've read all the. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lucky it, you. It, it has to stop sooner or later. You know. You can get the digital one, right? Well, yes. Yeah, you can get the digital. That's what it'll do. That's what it'll do. I even had uh, the digital one. And I still didn't find it convenient enough for me no? to, to actually. I just never have any time to sit there and read a oh. PDF. You know, right. outside of a client sending me a brief as a PDF. That's okay. It's the only ever time I, I open up Acrobat. Or I have to sign something. Right. Okay. No, it's good. I mean, it. God, it, those magazines take up a lot of space in my house. But it's nice to, if you have to go and reference something, it's nice to kind of to leaf through the magazines and, Absolutely. and, and uh, pick the stuff out. You know, from I think that is the number years. one resource for any photography 
or cine student mm. to have is to buy a subscription to that and read it cover yeah. to cover religiously yeah. all the time because you'll never understand all the tips and tricks that that are, are written down in mm. it it's amazing no it's amazing it's it's yeah, it's pretty... Uh, I mean, you can watch the film over and over and over again and try to deduce and dissect a scene, but when... Yeah, well, it's, like, when, it's like watching a magic trick. Yeah, but when when the guy actually, in the interview, tells you exactly what yeah. he's done, and you go, oh, my God, that's how he did it. Yeah. Well, that's the good thing about all those guys. Like, I mean, it, it, it seems to be pretty, pretty true for the most part that... It, all the really, really good DOPs are pretty generous with their knowledge. Free-flowing, yeah. Free-flowing, yep. you know, they, yep. they don't hold a lot of secrets, you know. I I found that, I mean, I, I met Seamus McGarvey when I was 18 or 19. You were what, sorry? I met Seamus McGarvey when I was 18 or 19. Yeah. And um, he was just ridiculously generous with his knowledge, you know. I mean, it was, uh, it was a masterclass that... Uh, that I went to and you know all of us were just firing questions at him like how did you do this how did you do this how did you do this and I you know just with no kind of um, <laughs> like hesitation with, just, no, no hesitation no regard for keeping his, 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 that's his, great. his trade secrets he just he told us everything I thought wow that's that's pretty incredible I guess he realizes that you've made the effort enough to be there yeah. and you're showing the interest in it you know that's kind of where I think like the whole YouTube tutorials falls you know mm -hmm. you know you're not present with that person yes doing that it's not one-on-one -on -one or even one-on-20 mm -hmm. you're not like participating in in the event you're just ingesting it whenever you want free like whenever you want to watch a new tutorial on whatever mm -hmm. you just sit down and watch it i don't know if it's cheating but it kind of just doesn't feel like you've got it from the horse's mouth yeah you know that's true that's true and i think you have to see that kind of stuff live as well in a, in a live environment it's i mean it's one thing doing it's one thing watching a, a lighting tutorial in a controlled situation, yeah. But it's another thing watching somebody light in a real location with yeah. <laughs> time constraints, where you know di different things pop up yeah. that that ruin we'll put this wall here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like you're doing like a period film, and all, all of a sudden you see like you know like <laughs> contemporary cars out the window, or, or yeah, whatever, yeah, the, whatever yeah. the hell, you know. Um, so I think you need to see people. Uh, react to yeah, practicals yeah, yeah to unforeseen problems to see how you do that stuff well well Ryan thank you very much for sharing your knowledge cool. and Thanks, your, your experiences in uh, Sundance and we'll do it again soon cool man alright Thank you very much to Ryan for sitting with me and uh, telling me all about his adventures in Park City and Sundance. That was, uh, that was great. And congratulations on the film, Ryan and crew. Fabulous. And thank you very much again to The Baltic inside the new Bullet Hotel for letting us uh, host the podcast here. Thank you to you guys. Keep on listening. Mm -hmm.